What a wonderful song. I love that lyric that she said, the, remembering uh, the God uh, who you are and that you're never far. And it truly is God's presence that brings peace uh, into our life. And as I look around, as I am enjoying the Christmas holiday, the Christmas season, there are so many different images, so many different reminders of God's presence in our life. Everywhere, everywhere we look, we can look at the Christmas decorations and the lights and the presents. And, and if we truly are aware of God's presence, all of those various images can speak something to us about the true reason why we celebrate Christmas. How God has given the greatest gift in all the world, his one and only son, and how that brings peace, joy, and contentment, and a reunion with our broken relationship with God through Christ Jesus. All these wonderful images are a great testimony to the fact that God is with us. God's presence is here in our midst. Sometimes we get so busy, so into the things that we have going on, that we, we don't let that truth really sink in. So I, I want us to just pause here for a, for a moment and I want us to really consider that, that right here, right now, as we're sitting here, as we're worshiping our Heavenly Father, He is with us. He is just as much with us right now as the person sitting next to you or the person sitting in front of you. God's presence is in this place. Now, there are times where that, the presence of God is readily, readily uh, um, obvious. We can see it. We can feel it. We, we, we sense God's presence. We see his hand moving. We can see how he provides for us in certain ways or how he protects us in other ways. And it is abundantly clear to us that God is in our midst. And those are truly wonderful times. And I encourage you, if you have felt God's presence here lately, if you have felt him uh, this year, I know it's been a difficult difficult year for, for most, if not all of us, but if you have felt God's presence in your life, if you have felt him recently, hold on to that. If you journal, if you, if you write these things down, write them down because we need to remember those moments. We need to pass those moments on to other generations so that they can know that God is with us. And another reason why it's important to remember those moments is because there are other times I'm sure we've all experienced it in some uh, form uh, at some time in our, in our life, where although we know that God is with us, we know his presence is close and abiding to his children, there are times in our life where we don't feel like God is with us. There may have even been times where you have gone through such difficulty where you have actually cried out in prayer, or you've cried out to someone who gives you a listening ear, and you ask, where is God? Where is God when the world seems to be falling apart? Where is God when our marriages uh, seem to be crumbling around us? Where is God when our children are running away from the faith or when we lose a loved one? Where is God? Where is God when you're doing everything you know that you're supposed to do and it still is not having an effect in your life? You don't seem like things are coming together. In fact, things are drifting further and further apart. Where is God? Now, sometimes we can go through those moments because of something that we've done. Maybe we have messed up. Maybe we have gotten outside the will of God and we are experiencing his discipline or the consequences of our rebellion. But sometimes, just because we live in a broken, fallen world, sometimes we can go through seasons of life where we don't feel, we don't experience, we don't recognize the presence of God with us. But that's the beautiful thing about Christmas. 
Christmas is all about broken humanity who has drifted far away from God and God proactively took a step in our direction, sent his son so that he could reconcile us again, so that he could remind us that no matter how far you drift, no matter how far you get away from me, I'm still with you. What wonderful news that is that God has promised that even though we are faithless, he will always remain faithful. And he will chase after us, he will pursue us, and he'll go to the furthest extremes to win us back to him. And so what I want us to do in our time here together, over the last uh, several weeks we've been looking at this idea of a gift exchange where we exchange our brokenness, our hurt, in exchange for the wonderful blessings and provisions of God. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at that, that name that we often hear during the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God with us. And I want us to see how God exchanges our isolation, our brokenness, how we have gone wayward away from Christ, and how through Christ he has brought us back close to him, that God has reassured us, broken, sinful humanity, that God is still with us. Now, oftentimes we look in the gospel, especially the gospel of Matthew, when we, uh, when we hear that phrase, Emmanuel, God with us, but I want to go back to where we first heard that in Isaiah 7. So if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll begin uh, turning to Isaiah chapter 7, and as you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of context of what we're going to be looking at today. In this particular passage, we pick up in, a, in the story of Israel where they have been steadily drifting away from God. And that's kind of been the, the history that we've seen with Israel ever since they came out of Egypt. It's this constant uh, struggle. Not, it was easy getting them out of Egypt. It was not so easy getting Egypt out of them. They were constantly running back to their idols. They were constantly running back to their sin. And that was the challenge that God faced with his, uh, with his chosen people. And even as they went into the promised land, they were looking around at the nations around them and wanting to be like them. Even after David, one of the greatest kings in all of the history of Israel, came up, a man after God's own heart, and he led them into the golden age of Israel. Shortly after he died and stepped, uh, stepped uh, off the throne, his son Solomon stepped on the throne and through some of Solomon's, even though he was the wisest uh, man alive at that time, uh, even though he was, had the wisdom of God with him, he still made some very foolish decisions, began chasing after uh, uh, idols and other things of that nature. His son Rehoboam steps on the throne after him and continues to lead them away to the point where Israel splits in two. And you have the northern tribe and you have the southern tribe. And even though they are supposed to be one people of God, they have been broken. And it seems like the story that God was trying to weave through his chosen people that would send a blessing out to the rest of the world is getting off track. And so we pick up here in Isaiah 7, and Isaiah is a prophet of God, and he's looking at the people of God getting further and further apart. Assyria is beginning to grow strength and beginning to uh, threaten the, the nations all around them. And a young man has stepped on the throne. Most scholars believe he's probably in his uh, uh, early to mid-20s. It's a man by the name of Ahaz. You've probably heard of him before. He grows up to be one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel. But toward the very beginning of his reign, he's still, uh, he, he's, he's getting away from God. He's starting to do uh, some of the things he shouldn't do, but he's, he's just kind of starting his kingdom. And already there's a threat to snatch away all that has been given to him. And Israel's in a dark, dark place, and there seems to be dangers around every corner. And so here's where we pick up in Isaiah chapter 7, 
And God's word tells us this. Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of um, the son of Remelah, the king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as trees of woods that are moved with the wind. Now, what is going on here? What is, what is actually taking place is you have the northern tribe that used to be a part of the people of God. Now they have joined up with the Syrian forces. And the reason why they have joined up is because they're looking uh, to the east and they're seeing this big Assyrian empire begin to get more and more steam, more and more strength. And they know that eventually Assyrians going to come rolling through there. And they want to try to come together to stand up against it. And so they know that Ahaz has sympathies towards Assyria. That Ahaz is kind of sympathetic to the Assyrian king and is kind of uh, 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 pledging allegiance to the Assyrian king. And they say, we have to get Ahaz off the throne. And the northern tribe can't do it by themselves. Syria can't do it by themselves. And so Syria and Israel join together against the southern tribe of Judah. And here they come against it, and they have begun waging a siege around Jerusalem. They have already conquered much of the surrounding land, and they're just waiting them out, seeing if they can conquer this tribe of Israel and replace them with a king that is more sympathetic to their cause. Now again, here Ahaz is young in years, he's young in his reign, and he's in a desperate spot trying to figure out, What am I going to do? Now, I want you to notice what happens next. Look here in verse 3, and it says, Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz. You and uh, uh, (laughs) Shirajolob, your son, and end at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field. Now, basically, here uh, God has called Isaiah and his son, and his son's name means a remnant will remain. Now, here's what I want you to see. Not only is Isaiah coming with a message, but he's coming as a message. He's coming letting Isaiah know that a remnant will remain. Now, that sounds good, but it leads almost to the idea, well, if a remnant remains, what happens to the rest of them? It's almost, yes, it's a positive news, but it could also just as likely be a warning against Ahaz. And we would likely suspect if knowing Ahaz's uh, personality, knowing Ahaz's future and what he will do, we would likely think that uh, Isaiah is going to go before Ahaz and give him a dire warning that this is it. That God knows that you've been worshiping idols. God knows the kind of king you're going to be, and he is going to take you off the throne. In fact, we know how bad Ahaz is because up until this point, he's already done several things that goes against what God has commanded him to be. He's supposed to be the man of God leading the people of God. He's supposed to be like a shepherd, uh, an intermediary between God's people and God. He is supposed to guide them in the ways of God. And yet he's already offering idols, or offering sacrifices to idols. In fact, he's already burnt his own son as an offering to the idols. Imagine that for a moment. That you are so much like the world, that instead of following God, you're willing to sacrifice 
your own son. Even more so is that significant for someone in Ahaz's position because as a king, he wants to have, uh, he wants to have uh, children, male heirs to come on after him to continue the name, but he is killing his own children to follow after these false gods. Not only that, we know that in, uh, going forward in the, in the days ahead, he's also going to be taking the gold and the, uh, the, the sanctified, holy uh, utensils in the temple of God and giving them to the Assyrian king as a tribute, as fealty, and as allegiance to this pagan emperor. And if that wasn't enough, we also know that he, as he goes and he visits the uh, Assyrian king, as he's coming in, as he's uh, waging war with other folks, he goes and he sees a beautiful uh, altar there in this pagan temple. And he says, I like that. In fact, I like that altar better than the altar that's in the temple of God. So he sends a letter back to the priest there uh, in Jerusalem. He says, I want you to tear down the altar of God. I want you to build this pagan altar there. Take that old altar of God and put it in the palace. I'll use that for my own personal use, but we want to have this beautiful, ornate altar in the temple of God. We know that that is where Ahaz is going. We know that is where his heart is, and we know that God knows that is what Ahaz is going to become. And yet, I want you to listen very carefully to the message that God has sent to his prophet to give to this king who's going to be one of the most wicked kings in all of Israel. Notice what the word of the Lord says. He goes and he says in verse uh, 4, he says, Take heed... And be quiet. Now, another translation, another way of rendering that is just pay attention and calm down, Ahaz. Here's what he says. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Rezin and, and Syria and the son of Remula, because Syria and Ephraim, the son of Re, uh, Remula, has plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its walls for ourselves, and let the king over them, the son of Tabal. Now here's what we need to understand. God is saying, hey, Ahaz, calm down. I know you're worried. I know the people of Israel, um, people of Judah are worried. I know that you see this massive army around you and you think there's no way for you to get out. In fact, the reason why Isaiah had to go meet him at the fuller's uh, pool there is because that is where they would do the laundry. Ahaz is going around looking at all the pools of water there in uh, uh, Jerusalem, trying to figure out, okay, how much water do we have in the city so that we can hold out against the siege? How long do we have before we uh, complete completely dehydrate or before we run out of supplies and we're, we have to surrender. And so Isaiah goes with the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord is calm down, pay attention and calm down. You're so worried about this army, but he calls him, uh, he calls these two kings coming against Judah, he calls them two smoking firebrands. Basically, they are all bark and no bite. They, they talk a big game, but they have nothing behind them. I know they look intimidating. I know this looks like a dire situation, but it's okay. I know things you don't know. I see what's going to happen, and you need to understand that I'm in control. Notice what he goes on to say here. Verse 7, he says, Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within 65 years, 
Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Ramallah's son. They don't even say his name here. They just totally disrespect him, not even mentioning uh, Pekah's name. They just call him Ramallah's son. If you will not believe, you shall surely not be established. Hear God's word to this king that God knows is not on his side. God knows that he's worshiping idols. God knows that he's sacrificing his own children. God knows that he's going to lead the people of Judah continually away from God, that he's going to be an awful king. But yet God still has a heart for him. And God has a heart for his people who are following after him. And see, one of the the great things that I see in this passage is that God loves sinners. God loves Ahaz. Now, yes, God is going to discipline and punish Ahaz, as we see later on in his story. Yes, God is going to discipline and punish the people of Israel, as we see later on in their story. But God's word to him is, I'm for you. I want to bless you. In fact, he even says that in the, in the last few words there. Notice what he says. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established or you shall not last. Which the other side of that is, if you will believe, if you will believe my word, Ahaz, then you will last and you will be established. God is giving him a chance here. Which are you going to choose, Ahaz? Are you going to choose life? Or death? Are you going to believe in my promises that these two kings are just going to fizzle out and that you'll be fine and they will be destroyed? Or are you going to trust in your wisdom, in the wisdom of the world? Now, in just a little bit, we're going to see that Ahaz makes a bad decision. In fact, if you read in 2 Kings, you get a little bit more behind-the-scenes picture of what's going on in Ahaz's heart. But he's already made a deal with the king of Assyria, and he's already written to him asking him to come and rescue him. Ahaz is more trusting of a pagan, godless king than he is of the one true God of Israel. Now, I want to pause here for a moment, and I want us to do a little self-reflection. And I want us each to ask ourselves, when we find ourselves in these difficult times, when we find ourselves in these situations that it seems like there's no hope, and it seems like everything's falling apart, and it's difficult to feel the presence of God or see the presence of God, do you place your faith in what you feel? Or do you place your faith in the one that you know? See, feelings can change. Feelings can morph and move. And feelings can lead us astray. The scripture tells us that the heart of man is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Listen, if I follow my feelings, it will lead me into some bad and dark places. Ahaz is scared. And when we are scared, sometimes we make some very foolish decisions. But God was saying to Ahaz, and I believe he's saying to you and me today, listen, you don't need to fear. Be quiet, be calm, and pay attention. Pay attention to what? Pay attention to the fact that God is with us. We have been going through a rough year. We've been going through difficult things. I'm sure that you could come up here and you could tell how you, you have hurt, you have struggled. You could probably tell of seasons of your life where you have just been brought to your lowest point. But listen, even in those moments, God is with you. God is working in you and God is working through you to do great things. The question is, are you going to trust him? 
Are you going to focus on the difficulty, the obstacle that's looming in front of you? Or are you going to look even higher than that to the God who holds all things in his hands? The God who is so for you that he was willing to send his one and only son to die the punishment, the penalty of sin that you and I deserve. God is with us. God is for us. Even when we are in our sin. Because listen, if God were only for perfect people, sinless people, then none of us would have any hope. But thankfully, God loves sinners like you and me. And God is for us. God is with us. Not only that, I want you to notice what else God's message to uh, Ahaz was. Take a look uh, just a little bit further down in verse 10. He says, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask either uh, in the depth or in the height above. Now, I love that because here God has basically given Ahaz a message that seems kind of unbelievable. Because God is essentially saying, Ahaz, I don't want you to do a thing. I don't want you to amass the army. I don't want you to get the catapults ready. I don't want you to write off to other kings to come and help you. Ahaz, I got this under control. Be quiet and calm down. And watch me do what I do. I'll take care of it if you'll just trust in me. Now, isn't that a difficult thing to do? That when difficulties come our way, I, I, I in, in particular, am a problem solver. I don't like to just sit and wait. I like to be proactive and go and do and try to fix the problem. But sometimes God says, sit and wait. Be still and know that I am the Lord. And that's his message to Ahaz. But now, as God is talking to him, he says, ask a sign. I've, asked, I've told you this difficult thing for you just to sit and wait, even though you're surrounded by all these dangers. So Ahaz, I'm going to help you out a little bit. Ask any sign. Ask for confirmation that this prom promise is going to happen. You want proof that I'm going to be faithful and meet you where you are, then ask for any sign you want. Now imagine God told you that. Imagine God said, okay, I'm going to do something great in your life. And that's going to take some time. I want you to have faith, but if you ask any sign in the world, I'll give it to you. You want there to be a solar eclipse? I'll give it to you. You want there to be an earthquake under your feet? I'll give it to you. You want a pile of cash to just fall in front of in your uh, front door? I'll give it to you. Ask any sign, heaven or earth, I'll give it to you. But notice what Ahaz says. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Well, isn't that pious and holy of Ahaz, not to test the Lord, right? In fact, that's what God's word tells us in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6 verse 16 says this, you shall not tempt the Lord your God as you tempted him at Massah. Now, there it is in God's word. Ahaz, you know, being a, a good uh, Hebrew, he knew God's word and he knew that he wasn't supposed to test God. But that's not really what Ahaz is doing. Ahaz is trying to look uh, righteous, he's trying to look holy, he's trying to look pious, but really he's just taking God's word, much like the serpent did in the garden, much like uh, uh, Satan did when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, taking God's word and trying to twist it to do what he wants to do. 
what the people of Israel did at Messiah, is when, that was when they were traveling through the wilderness and they came to a spot where they were thirsty. They thought they were going to perish. And so they began to complain against Moses and complain against God. God tells Moses to go and strike a, a rock and water began to pour forth from the rock. And God uh, told Moses to name the place Massah because they tempted God. They didn't trust God. And that's what Ahaz is doing here. He's saying, I don't want to ask anything from God because secretly in his own heart, he knows he's already aligned himself with Assyria. He's already made his plans and he doesn't want to listen to God. He doesn't want to trust in God. Now, here's one thing I want us to just recognize and understand. There are going to be some people that we talk to, that we try to talk about Christ We try to tell them that God loves them, what God's will for their life is. But here's the thing. There are going to be some people that you come in contact with. There are going to be some people maybe you're related to. And they don't believe in God because they don't want to believe in God. Ahaz doesn't want to believe in God. It's not as though God's not giving Ahaz proof. He has sent his messenger. He says, ask anything you want and I'll prove to you that I am with you, Ahaz. But Ahaz doesn't want God in his life. Ahaz doesn't want God's provision. He doesn't want God's sign. And I, I'm, telling, I'm telling you, I want you to understand, there are going to be some people that you so desperately want to accept Christ. You want them to be a part of the family of God, but they don't want God in their life. And that's hard, and that's difficult. But no amount of arguing, no amount of uh, uh, reading, no amount of... of uh, Pointing, sign, uh, pointing out signs and God's handprints all over their life, no amount of that is ever going to change their heart towards God. That is something that only God can do. In fact, I was looking at a, uh, a book that written by a very well-known uh, philosopher, American philosopher who's a devout atheist, and uh, in his classrooms and in his uh, books that he would write, he would just uh, try to tear apart the Christian faith and tear apart uh, people's beliefs in God. And, and one of the last books that he wrote, here is a quote uh, towards the end of his book of what he said in his belief towards God. He says this. This is Thomas uh, Nagel, and he said, I want atheism to be true. And I am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent, well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God, and naturally I hope that I am right in my belief. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. There are some people who are uncomfortable with the idea that they are accountable to God. There are some people who that makes them uncomfortable. They, they squirm. They try to uh, drown out the, the, the call of God in their own heart. They try to dismiss and dismantle the faith of others so that they are more comfortable in their own choices and the own, their, their direction that they want for their life. And that's what we see in Ahaz. A man who is confident that he knows what's best. And he wants to plow forward without recognizing the presence of God in his life. And if you remember, God told him, if you believe, great, you'll last. But if you don't believe, you'll never be established. 
And that's God's warning to each and every one of us. Listen, we think of God, uh, the idea of Emmanuel, God with us, as a wonderful uh, encouragement, and it is. The fact that God is with us as broken people, that God's presence is here in our midst, and when we go through these difficult times, God is with us. But there's also the flip side of that phrase, that if we rebel against God, if we run from God, if we stick our fingers in our ears and we don't want to listen to his voice, then listen, God is still with us as a judge because God is holy. And although he loves you, he also must judge and do away with sin. And if we cling, if we cling so passionately to our own desires and our own wants and we fight the hand of God, then eventually we'll find ourselves in an eternity apart from God. See, Christmas is a wonderful time to, to see just the extent of how far God will go to bring us back to himself, but God will never force us into a relationship that we don't want. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, listen, I'm here to tell you God is with you. God wants you to be with him. He wants you to be in a relationship with him. So don't push him away any longer. Today is the day of salvation. God has you here for a reason because he wants you to know that he is with you. And he's offering you one more time that opportunity to accept his free gift of salvation. So Isaiah says, listen, ask any sign. Isaiah, or Ahaz doesn't want any sign, so here's what Isaiah says. Look in verse 13, he says, Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. He, he's done talking to Ahaz. Now he's going to uh, uh, point his, his uh, message to the larger crowd of, of Judah and the, the people of God. He says, Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself, he'll give you a sign. You don't want one, but I'm going to give you one anyways. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse evil and choose good. For before the child shall know to refuse evil and choose good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both of her kings. Now, what is he talking about here? He says, okay, Ahaz, you don't want to sign. You're trusting in your own ways and in your own wants. You don't want to trust in God. God is going to give not just you a sign, but he's going to give all the people of God a sign, all the people of Judah. Maybe there's some among them who will trust in God. So here's the sign that God is faithful and God is good. That there is going to be a, a, a virgin. Now, there are a lot of scholars that debate this word back and forth. Some say, well, he's just talking about a maiden because this Hebrew word can either mean uh, a virgin or it can be a young maiden who's not yet had a child. And the beautiful thing is, in, in a biblical prophecy, there is what is called the, the near fulfillment of a prophecy and the far-reaching, more complete fulfillment of a prophecy. Here in Isaiah, he is probably most likely talking about a young woman uh, who is not yet uh, given birth to a child, and he says, before that uh, young girl is preg uh, pregnant, has a child, and that child reaches the age of 12 or 13, because that's when, in Hebrew thought, a child could decide between right and wrong, before 12 years is out, those two kings that you're so afraid of, they're going to be gone. That's your sign. Watch for it. Now, Matthew, reading this prophecy, looking back on the life of Jesus, he says, yes, that was fulfilled in Isaiah's time, but there is a more complete, more uh, whole fulfillment in the life of Jesus. 
that while there was a main back in Isaiah's time that pointed to that fulfillment, Jesus is the complete fulfillment of this prophecy because not only was there a main back then who gave birth to a child, but there was a true virgin, Mary, who had known no man but was pregnant uh, by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God with us. And God, just as he told Isaiah and Ahaz and the people of Judah back then, I am with you and here's a sign, Jesus is a sign to us. That God loved us enough and that he is so committed to our cause and he is moving us toward redemption that he would give even his own son to purchase us back to himself. That if God will go that far, is there anything that will ever separate us from the love of God? Is there anything that can possibly strike fear into the hearts of his people when we know God is for us to that extent? That God loves broken people. God loves people who, like Ahaz and like the the people of Judah at that time, they didn't want to believe God, but God was still going to be faithful to them and move in their direction. That is the hope that God wants us to remember this Christmas season. When we hear the word Emmanuel, there should be a skip in our heart. We should shout for joy. A people who had no hope, now we have hope. And we are reminded of that hope every time we remember Emmanuel. God is with us. But not only that, we see here in the last few verses here, verse 17, we'll close with this. It says, the Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and upon your people and your father's house days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Now he's talking about the northern tribe and how Assyria is going to come through there and take Assyria away. But he also looks at Ahaz and he says, Assyria is also going to come for you as well. You see, Ahaz trusted in Assyria for protection, for provision. But he had made a mess of his life because those same people that he had trusted to come and protect him would one day come and lead him into exile just like they were the northern tribe. Sometimes when we step in front of God and we try to take the place of God and we try to uh, push his hand away and come up with our own solutions and, and, and our own way of doing things, we make a bigger mess of our lives. And that's what Ahaz was doing here. And Isaiah tells him, listen, You've trusted in the wrong God. And not only will you pay the price, but your children and your children's children, for generations they were going to live with the consequences of Ahaz's leadership. But even in the midst of that, God was still with them. Even as they were led into exile, God was with them. And when he brought them back to the promised land, God was with them. And so no matter how far you've strayed, no matter what choices you've made, I'm telling you, God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with you. Now, I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know what struggles you may be dealing with. But I hope that as you go throughout the rest of your week, as you go throughout uh, the rest of 2020 and into 2021, listen, no matter whether or not you can see God's presence in your life, I want you to remember God loves you, and God is fighting for you. In just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, and you're going to have an opportunity to just praise God. Maybe you're a believer here, and you just want to say thank you
for being with me even though I've run from you time and time again. Or maybe you're that person who has not yet trusted in Christ. Today's the day that you can run into the arms of the one who loves you so much and has been fighting for you from the moment you took your first breath. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as you listen to God's voice. Wonderful Heavenly Father, gracious Lord, thank you so much for all that you have done. Lord, thank you for your reminder here of Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, even when we don't deserve it, Lord, even when we run from you, Lord, you are faithful. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not accepted you, Lord, today they would accept you. Lord, today they would call out to you and receive the salvation you so desperately want to give them. Father, whatever your will is, Lord, that is what we want here in our midst today. So have your way, have your will in our life and in our service, and we'll give you all the praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whatever.